I wanted to have a world where I had some familiarity and working in the film industry for a while. And we thought, how fun would it be if there's this whole underground part of Hollywood and the rest of the world where there are supernatural beings that are an active part of movie making, but you know, not everyone knows that they're there. Welcome to Monster Complex. I'm Will Christopher, editor of MonsterComplex.com. If you're a monster fan or a monster hunter, then you're in the right place. Monster Complex is devoted to monster fiction in all its forms, from books to movies to TV and other media, from Frankenstein to Godzilla, Buffy to X-Files, Ultraman to Hellboy. Stick around for author interviews, lists, special features, and more. Dana Fredsty is an author and an actress with a background in theatrical sword fighting. In fact, her credits include the cult classic Army of Darkness. Her Spawn of Lilith series stars a Hollywood stuntwoman who is secretly a demon hunter paying off an ancient family debt. The latest book in the series is Blood, Inc. Having killed her last producer, stuntwoman Lee Striga's next film shoot takes her to the voodoo-soaked bayous and haunted back alleys of New Orleans, where an arcane tattoo artist is using his clients in rituals that will open an interdimensional gateway for a demon god from beyond the stars. In this interview, Dana takes us behind the scenes of the series and shares some of the real-life experiences behind her character's day job. Your most recent book in your Lilith series is Blood, Inc. Yeah. And then you are in the middle of writing the third book, uh, Hollywood Monsters, which will be available right at the beginning of 2021. Yeah, January 12th, I think, is actually the official date. So talking about Blood Inc., which is the one people can get right now, uh, how does this fit into the big picture of your Lilith series? Well, it's the second one in the series, and this is a series where there's an overarching uh, story that runs the length of the series, and whether it ends at three books or goes on for another 12, I've got a huge, you know, the tip of the iceberg is what's out now, and I've got a lot of, you know, iceberg underneath stuff that I've got planned. This one continues the story from the first book, but they're also meant to be standalones. If you pick up a book at any point in the series, you're going to get a complete story. But I'm hoping that people would want to go back and read the books before that to kind of go, okay, well, she's talking about this character or making a reference to something here. Let's dig into then your main character. Her name right. is, uh, and you're going to have to have the pronunciation, Lee, is it Striga? Striga. Striga, okay. Yeah. She's an actress, she's a movie stunt woman, and she's a demon hunter. Yes. Some of her characteristics, particularly those where she's working in Hollywood, come from your experiences. How much is she a version of who you would be if you lived in that world? All of my main characters, to some degree, have at least a little bit of me in them because I find it easier to write truthfully if I give them at least a couple of attributes that I also have. But I don't know that I would say, I mean, maybe 10%. I, I don't know. Maybe she, she's more what I would have been younger Dana, more dramatic Dana. You know, I'm, I'm a lot calmer than I used to be. Um, so, you know, I, I have people read my books and say, oh, yeah, I totally pictured you as, as Ashley or as this character or that. And I'm like, well, that much, maybe? Um, because when you try to write too much reality and relate everything to yourself, you end up with a Mary Sue character, right? which is really irritating. And also, I think that it's, it's, just, it's not as believable as when you, you, know, you take that little bit of truth and then you deviate and you create something new. 
So yeah, I'm going to give it a 10%, a solid 10%. All right. Is her name uh, Striga because of the, because I, I noticed it's similar to the word uh, Strigoi, which is a Romanian, like a spirit or vampire. Is that a coincidence? Is that intentional? When I, when I was researching for the first book, I, I did a lot of research on Lilith and a lot of her, you know, her legends, the scattered ones that there are. Um, her totem animal is an owl and Striga also means screech owl. So I like that connection with it. And also the fact that Striga, yeah, I mean, in different, it's, it's a Romanian sort of like kind of sort of a vampire, but there's also other countries that have a similar type of demon and a similar type of name, you know, slightly different spelling, slightly different pronunciation. So it's all sort of a, this just really suits. I like this. I'm going to name her Lee Striga. And I also liked the way Lee Striga rolled off the tongue. It's easy to say in interviews. So right. <laughs> I like that. How much does that inform the character then? Is that just a well, name or is it, is it something you're thinking about as you're writing the character? It was something that I was very much aware of from the beginning because since she is, you know, Lilith's descendant, I wanted there to be a connection mm-hmm. to Lilith, you know, pretty much from the get-go. Now, most people aren't going to get that unless they're the sort of people that research these things or that saw the book Spawn of Lilith and they're into the whole Lilith mythos and they're probably going to catch it right off the bat, I would think. It's not something that informs every single thing that she does, but it definitely was a deliberate choice from the beginning. Right. Now, I saw on your blog that your first celebrity crush was Christopher (laughs) Lee. Is that why her name is Lee? Is it a coincidence or is there a connection there? No, that, that it's, it's, it's because, um, uh, like like her mother's name was Lily, and and another character uh, that's also a descendant of Lilith. I think it was Lila. Um, I want names that are similar to Lilith, or that are something that can be sort of a play off of that. The fact that you know you thought of Christopher Lee when you saw Lee Striga just delights me, but it was not intentional at all. Okay. It just shows how deep that and enduring that crush is. Right. Well, it seems so appropriate somehow. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let's then talk about the world of the series. Uh, she works in the film industry, uh, which exists in the real world. But your version, of course, is populated by supernatural beings. Um, did you do your world building ahead of time, or are you sort of figuring it out as you go through these stories? Definitely both. Um, I was a, a dedicated pantser when I started writing. I hated plotting. I hated outlining loathed it. And then when I started working with Steve, my editor, Steve is big on outlines and and synopsis and discussing these things beforehand. I I had another idea where I wanted Lilith to go, where the character was originally Lilith, the actual Lilith of legend. But I don't know if you're familiar with um, a series of books, uh, Casca, the Eternal Mercenary. Casca, he's basically the the soldier on the, uh, the hill that stabbed Christ with a spear and he's cursed to walk the earth as a mercenary. He can't die. I mean, he dies, but if he gets buried alive, he wakes up underneath, you know, wherever he's buried, dies again until someone digs him out. And it was, you know, short books, a cool series. And I loved the idea of a character that you could just take through different parts of history. But when I pitched that, it wasn't what Titan wanted to go with. So we came up instead with a character who's related to Lilith, who has this Clark Kent identity that that's Steve's term. It's something that, that, you know, um, 
her Clark Kent identity is she's a stunt woman, but then she's got this other side of her that's a demon hunter. I mean, it's it's not as simplistic at that, as that. She doesn't go into a phone booth and whip off her glasses and go, I hunt demons now. Um, it, it's something that she actually discovers about herself in the first book, but it's most of the people in her life don't know what she does other than, oh, you fall off building, just set yourself on fire. It, it's, it really is something that I, I started out knowing that I wanted to have a Hollywood where I, I wanted to, to have a world where I had some familiarity and working in the film industry for a while as a, you know, B-movie actress and a specialty player in stunts. I did sword fights. Steve and I thought that would be a really great place to take it from. So we started building the world from there. We wanted to have supernatural creatures and we thought, how fun would it be if there's this whole underground part of Hollywood and the rest of the world where there are supernatural beings that are an active part of movie making, but you know, not everyone knows that they're there. But every, every book I write, I discover something new about the world. I'm a big believer in doing some research and finding one line in one book that just sparks a new idea that gets added onto that world. There are a lot of ideas and themes uh, as, as, as these books are described, as we explore, and as you talk about in interviews, there are a lot of different ideas and themes ranging from your work experience, which we talked about, to also uh, women's issues in the workplace, women's issues in society. What I'm wondering is, and, and to make this clear, I'm not accusing you of having an agenda. I'm just <laughs> wondering, to what extent are these ideas, they're just they're just coming out as you're like, you're not doing it on purpose. It's just, this is the book that is coming out versus you're aware of it. And you're kind of almost working this stuff out of your own system. When I started writing the series, there was absolutely no agenda, but the more I started working on them and, you know, are you, are you familiar with, with uh, Lilith's legend, you know, with, with her basic. A bit. Well, you know, basically she is supposedly Adam's first wife and she did not want to do what he said all the time. She thought missionary position was really boring. So she basically hightailed it out of there, hooked up with the demon, had really good sex and a lot of babies. And um, Adam pitched a fit and Yahweh sent some angels after her to have, you know, to come on back, you got to be a good wife. And she basically said, screw you. Her children were turned into demons and Adam then got Eve as his, his wife. This is kind of like the ultimate, you know, screw you in the face of, of patriarchy. And I kind of realized as I was writing it that you basically got this woman and Lee, Lilith's descendant, she's constantly being herded into doing something because this curse was passed down on her ancestress and she has to do it because Yahweh says so. And because, you know, all of these, these people are telling her this is what she has to do. And it's kind of like, she just wants to do what she wants to do for the reasons that she thinks is right. The underlying theme of it, it's a lot more in tune with what's going on now. And the more that we are in the situation we are in, in this country with women's rights being crushed, I have a lot of anger about that, and it is definitely coming out in the book. I want to make it very clear, I don't have an issue with men. I have an issue with misogyny. I have an issue with the way that things have been done in this country and how they're trying to turn back the clock. 
And I'm actually really glad that this is something that's coming out in the books. And I hope I'm doing it in a way that not only is something that is positive for women to read, but that my male audience, because I have a good male readership as well, that they're going to respond to it in a positive way. You have a lot of other books. You've written other things. This is just the current stuff that you're writing. Um, so you had the Time Shard books. We talked before the interview, and then you just alluded to during the interview of your Ashley Parker books, which right. I think those are the ones set during the plague, right? The zombie yes. plague? Yeah. All right. Which is, I guess, strangely timely right now. And then you've written, I saw at least one mystery, and you've written some other stuff. When you've got all of these things, what are the common denominators for your works as an author? I would say that there's generally a strong female protagonist with a sarcastic sense of humor, which may be the 10% that we talked about earlier that might be me. Um, and also just because that's the kind of thing I like to read, so that's what I like to write. My heroine will generally do anything to rescue an animal, <laughs> which I managed to fit in there. Gosh, humor, I uh, horror... Those are the things that spring to mind immediately. But I would just say that the through line is my style, which does, I, I write some really horrific stuff, but I always have a sense of humor in there somewhere because I think that horror, it, it resonates a little bit more if there is a thread of humor running through it. I think if you just have constant gore and, you know, horrific stuff without anything to temper that, it's not as effective. And I have characters that, except for my mystery, which has some pretty black and white characters in it, I like characters that are shades of gray. I like bad guys who you may not like them, but there may be something about them that makes them at least relatable mm. or human to some degree. I don't like cardboard characters. So I hope that that's something that runs through my books. How much do you find that you have one set of readers and all of these books work for all of them versus you have readers who are going to gravitate toward one series or one of your books or another book. Well, the people that like cozy mysteries don't always, <laughs> they don't always want to transition over to the Ashley Parker uh, plague series. I, I find that some of the ones that like the mysteries, like the Lilith series, cause it's not quite as just out and out, you know, let's face it. Zombie books are gory. There's just a certain thing that get, that goes with them. But I find um, my readers that like my voice, my style, the sense of humor, they tend to read all of my books and like some better than others. There's some of them that like the horror. They have no time for the cozy mystery. So it just depends. Let's talk a second about the aforementioned background in Hollywood. So okay. you, you have a background as an actress, as a stunt person yourself. You are a sword you have been on screen sword fighting, correct? Yes. Yeah, I, and, and I like to differentiate between a stunt person and a specialty player because okay. what I did, um, I've been trained and I trained for years um, in theatrical combat, including unarmed and um, with weapons and my specialty, I'm, swords. I, it's something I've loved since I was very young. It's something that I'm very good at. I'm not the most athletic person in the world, but when it comes to sword fighting, that's something that I've always done well and I've loved it. Stunt people, their world is so much larger. I mean, I have never set myself on fire or been set on fire. I don't want to. Mm -hmm. 
I've never fallen off a really tall building because A, I'm afraid of heights and which is one of the, the things that I did actually put into my book. And I don't want to cheapen what they do by calling myself a stunt woman because I don't feel that it's appropriate. When it comes to the sword fighting, yeah, I was in Army of Darkness, which is the third evil dead movie. And I was the onset armor's assistant. I was a sword fighting captain, which means that I helped train all of the extras in the very basics of sword play. So in the background, when you see the soldiers doing very basic moves, that's because they were taught by um, the Academy of Theatrical Combat and who I worked with at the time. And I was a sword fighting deadite. And that meant that I got to wear a latex suit, which was really fun until you had to pee <laughs> and you had 10 minutes to go running off set and find the bathroom. And I got to choreograph my own fights with the, you know, whoever my partner or partners were at the time. And it was a blast. It, it was so much fun doing that. And I've worked in a couple of other films as well, doing sword fighting. And I did a really, really low budget film where the stunt coordinator was Jack West, who did the wire work for Wang in Big Trouble in Little China. And he found out that I sword fought and that also the, um, the first assistant director, who was then my fiance, he also was a sword fighter. So he pulled us in to do sword fights and other stuff on stunts on the set. It, it was a lot of fun. And he wanted to form a stunt team and we were going to be part of that. But that was back before the internet. That was back before email. And after that film, we just all sort of lost contact and that did not happen. And we didn't think to follow up on it. So theatrical combat would, I, I'm assuming means you, it looks good, but also you know how to not hurt people. Exactly. That, that's, a, that's a big part of it, right? Yeah. Like, you know how to throw a punch where... There's stage fighting and then there's fighting for film and both require a certain angle. Like if you're going to throw a punch and you want it to look like someone just got clocked in the jaw, you can have like several feet between your fist and their jaw. And if you've got the right angle, it still looks good. Now, when you're doing it on stage, you generally have to uh, do what's called a nap, which is a sound, you know, like that kind of thing where, you know, you're cheating the sound and it can sound really cheesy. And on film, you just have to throw the punch and some nice sound man is going to you know, add that sound in, in ADR. Theoretically, when you learn this, you learn how to do it safely. And I say theoretically because there are times where I have gotten hurt mm-hmm. on set. You've been a delineation between what you did and stunt person. Uh, I'm assuming, though, that you were on the set. You, you witnessed stunt people working. So you're oh, a ton of it, yeah. Those observations into because your character is a stunt person, right? Yes, yes. Okay. I, I also, I mean, her specialty is weapons. I, I okay. wanted to put that in there, but yeah, she does all of the other stuff that you do, you know, the, the stunt driving, the high falls, uh, the fire gags, all of that. And I have friends that are in the stunt industry now, and I did a lot of interviews with them. I tried to pull on what I did observe at the time, all of the different things. But then I made sure, especially because time has passed since I was in the film industry and when I started writing that book. So I wanted to see, okay, this is how they did it then. This is how they do stuff now. What's the difference? Um, So there's a lot of research that went into that. I was talking to people, reading books, 
scanning articles online, watching documentaries. So we talked earlier about women's issues in the workplace, and now we're talking about uh, stunt people, people doing dangerous things in film. I imagine there's an intersection there of you're able to bring in issues of issues for women specific to them doing these kinds of jobs. That, does that kind of stuff turn up in the books? It hasn't yet, but it probably will because, yeah, there's a, especially going mean, back in the, the 90s, there was a lot of sexism. And if you were a woman and you got hurt, like I, I was doing a fight on Army of Darkness and my partner, instead of parrying, he, he did a cut when he wasn't supposed to and he took me on my arm. And I had the latex suit on and the swords were aluminum, but we thought my arm was broken. The onset medic made me go to the emergency room. And when I got back, I found out that this, this guy who I think just felt really bad that he'd, he'd hurt me, but still he was talking about what a baby I was because I'd gone to the emergency room and it's like, okay, dude, first of all, I would have stayed on set if I hadn't been forced to go there. Second, would you have said that about a guy if you'd done that? Or would you have had, you know, like the, the man slapping, you know, back slapping manly moment of, oh, sorry about that. Let's go get a beer after you're back from the ER. And it was really, really upsetting. And it still pisses me off even today. And it's been a while. So yeah, I think that that kind of thing is definitely did go on. I think it still does go on to some degree and it'll show up in the book. So. I mean, in some ways I've created in some of these scenarios sort of an idealized world of, of how I would like it to be. But it was an interview, I think it was with Zoe Bell, where she was talking about how when she's hurt, she doesn't let them know because she doesn't want them to look at her differently. She doesn't want them, you know, to all of a sudden see her in a way that takes away from the job that she's able to do. And if you're familiar with Zoe Bell, she's probably one of the most kick-ass human beings I totally have a girl crush on her. I mean, she is, she's amazing. And I, and I don't know if we're going too far down this issues well at this point, but I find, my, I find myself now wondering, as these issues are explored, uh, on the one hand, when you explore them through fiction, it, it helps people to learn these things in a, in a, without getting defensive. Yeah. But because you're using supernatural characters, I'm wondering now, is there a danger that there's... Like, how, how do you make sure there's not so much arm's length that they feel they can dismiss it? Do you know what I mean? Because, the mean, super, oh, well, supernatural people did that. That's not real. I don't think that's the problem because um, some of the people in the series are not, you know, there's soups, which means supernatural, but, you know, it's a shortcut word for it. And right. there's humans and people that cross over into both worlds. And there's enough, basically, there's still gender of all sorts in the characters. And I think, you know, like one of the agents, he's a, a demon and he's your typical sleazy agent. And I think a lot of agents are probably demons. So, yeah. um, but I don't think anyone's going to go, Oh, it's just cause he's a demon. It's like, no, it's cause he's an asshole. I mean, that's right. what I think. Yeah. So I don't think that's a problem. So what you're saying is your books are actually a hundred percent true to life. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yes. And Hollywood really is overrun by all of these demons and supernatural creatures it's overrun by something i'm not sure if it's demons but yeah right um i, I think that there's enough veracity in in the descriptions of the characters and the matching up of the ones that are supernatural with their professions that it makes sense that that certain characters you know would uh, 
align with evil a little bit more, you know, or whatever the, you know, chaotic, neutral, chaotic, evil, et cetera, et cetera. I try to align them up, you know, according to what I experienced in the industry during that time. And I, I think I did a decent job matching it. So. Now, what would you say are the best ways for readers to support their favorite authors? Oh, gosh. Well, first of all, buy their books. Go to the library. Find out where you can get it legitimately for free. Authors, we don't mind that you can't always afford to buy our books. We get that. But supporting book pirates, that, that is bad on every single level. On that, if you like something, write a review. Take the time to write a review. Take the time to post it on Amazon, on Goodreads. Share the fact that you like it and, and just keep reading. And also, we all love fan mail. If you like one of our books, send us an email. Unless an author is a real jerk, they're almost always going to write you back and really appreciate the fact that you took that time because writing, it's solitary. A lot of writers do not, you know, you're writing into a void and there's some nights where you're sitting there going, why am I doing this? And I suck. And, oh, this is awful. Mm -hmm. And you can just get one random fan email out of the blue that'll just switch your attitude right around and go, okay, I'm going to go write another chapter. So. That's what I would say. Where do you want people to look for you online? IndieBound is a great website where if you want to support your local independent bookstores, and right now supporting your independent bookstores online, I, I would just, I would almost beg readers to do that instead of going to Amazon. I mean, nothing against Amazon. It's just right now they're huge. They've got other things going on. The independent booksellers they need our support. I would love people to, you know, contact their favorite local store, go to IndieBound. You can find out more about me on my website, which is danafredsky.com. I'm on Facebook and I have not reached my friend limit and I'm happy to, you know, talk to people online. Yeah, Instagram, Twitter, but not really Twitter because I stay off of Twitter for the most part because it's a lot more contentious. And right now I'm just trying to keep in the zone of writing. So. Um, that's what I would say. Great. Well, Dana Fredstein, thank you very much for joining us for Monster Complex. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Monster Complex. Become a Monster Complex member. Find out how to join our family at patreon.com slash monstercomplex. Subscribe to our free online magazine at monstercomplex.com. I'm Will Christopher. We'll see you again for the next episode of Monster Complex. Monster Complex.